1: Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Golf Podcast. I am Andy Johnson, and we have another episode with Tom Doke. another episode of the Yoke with Doke for you. Uh, so we released uh, an episode that was all part of this conversation earlier this week, so it'll be the last podcast in your feed. Um, but in this episode, we talk about Sedge Valley, uh, Tom's new course at Sand Valley, as well as Pinehurst number 10 and a slew of other topics. So this was a really, really fun conversation. Uh I hope everybody's having a great and safe Thanksgiving holiday. Uh as a quick reminder, we have a sale in the Friday Pro Shop. Uh it is uh If you use the promo code Black Friday, you get 20% off everything. If you're a, if you happen to be a Club TFE member, Uh, use your club tfe code and it's 25 percent off everything so really appreciate the support and uh through the year it's been a great year and uh can't wait to do it again next year so thank you guys for the support and uh without further ado here's tom dope all right let's talk a little bit about sedge um you know, one thing out there, you have you have a lot of drivable par fours. Um, just in general, and in your career, you've built a lot of great drivable par fours. I think a lot of people would uh, agree with that. And Thunder McRobert asked a question: How do you keep them from feeling too similar to each other?
0: Well, first, let's talk about Sedge a little. I mean, the disappointing part of doing the Renaissance Cup was that Sedge Valley was reduced to a to eighteen holes cameo role. We're going we're to talk about Sedge. Thing and i hated that cuz <laughs> for one it's really my design <laughs> yeah instead of me building somebody else's design and two i think it's really good and i think it turned out really well and i hope it can get past that and people appreciate it in its own right here next year and the year after um yeah i've built a lot of cool short par 4s although drivable par 4s most of them are overseas if you think about the ones that come to your mind right away are at Barnbugle and St. Andrew's Beach and Terra and not so much, I guess there's a couple of Pacific Dunes. But other than that, you know, my short par fours over here are a little longer because most American clients didn't want a 285 yard par four. They just were afraid of that number. And, I, you know, I said to Mike Clayton a long time ago when we were working in Australia that that I thought part of the thing was that 300-yard number was so important in America. It, it just like you're trying to get to 7,000 yards on the total scorecard. It's like if you had a par 4 that was under 300 yards, everybody would just go, what's that? And, and in Australia, they they measure everything in meters, and that that magic number would be 272 meters or whatever, and nobody cares about that you know you don't it's think not it's that a round cold. number it's 264 meters so it shouldn't you know it's it's too short but i was glad to you know have a chance to do that at san valley and build two or three holes at sedge that really were like 280 and 302 and where you can think about driving the green if the wind's not in your face um and it is hard to do a bunch of drivable par fours and make them different than each other I think that some people will say that six and a and uh 12 at sedge have some similarities they're both a little left to right they're both kind of skinny greens and it gets a lot harder the, the further the pin is in the back of the green so I think they'll I think they'll for sure or at least hopefully try to think through you know, the the whole location so they don't wind up mirroring the same whole location. You know, if they just did the front, middle, back, front, middle, back thing, like some courses do, six and 12 would be on the same rotation and that would suck. Yeah. So, and then there's the 18th, which is a drivable per four. And that one's really a close copy of the fourth at Barnboogle, just with a lot more room. You don't, you can hit it up to the right and not have fear of losing the ball and the native vegetation. So there's kind of an extra way to play the hole. And I I was really surprised how many of my friends who have been to Barnboogle commented on that hole, said it was one of their favorite holes, and did not really clock that it was a really close copy of the hole at Barnboogle.
1: It's a a really cool hole. Obviously, it's... uh... I think I assume you had to do a lot of creating to to make it but that you know you have this drivable par four you have a couple options you can play very safe down to the left you can push it up to the right over bunkers you have to carry some bunkers or you can go directly at the green which is the longest carry and it's this cool punch bowl green with kind of three distinct areas in it a front area a back right area and a back left area that's the hardest to get to from in terms of driving the green um it it obviously opens up significantly if you play it to the right um and it's a very much a bowl if you play it to the left it's a very cool hole um uh, was there a lot that went into creating that hole or was it pretty naturally there
0: uh it was generally you know, high on the right and low on the left, but more tilted. So we exaggerated that, but we really, we used the same technology there we've been using at Lido. Brian Zager got the LiDAR data for Barnbuckle. Amazingly. <laughs> it's all there for anybody to grab if they want to. I shouldn't tell that to anybody. <laughs> Fortunately, they're not developing golf courses in China right now, or somebody be starting on that tomorrow. Um, but we grabbed the LiDAR data. we, we overlaid it on the ground that we had. We The one thing that we changed was for a barn, but goes very short, but it's usually into a strong wind. So it's pretty hard to drive the green. And if we'd have just used it exactly the same way without that wind in your face, it would have been much easier to drive. So we just stretched it out about 20 yards. And the stretch is between the big bunker the big low bunker that comes up and going down into the green. So there are more shots that carry the bunker, but don't quite make it to the slope to stay up on the right side of the green and, you know, wind up down to the left as a result. Mm -hmm. It's funny how just, you know, making one little change and pulling something apart and having to fill that space changes the playability of the hole. But other than that, It's a very close copy and, you know, closer than I would like to admit. And, you know, I was frankly amazed that people did not pick up on that. You know, we obviously we the mounds behind the green at Barnbugle, Those are big sand dunes. And we did tone down the shape, you know, that we didn't make them as pointy as they are on the real golf hole because that would not fit in at all at Sedge Valley. You know, Sedge Valley is sandy and it has some dunes, but it doesn't have like big pointy dunes.
1: With Sedge, uh, you know, you, you mentioned kind of the setup with the short par fours, like making sure having different uh, whole locations. Is there anything else that you're you're worried about from the general public seeing it? Like, is there a concern? And then is there one thing that you're really excited to have the 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 general public see and and play.
0: Well in the beginning I was pretty concerned that Michael Kaiser wouldn't want to set it up the way we wanted to set it up. I mean a big part of the appeal to me is that there's basically going to be there would basically be two T markers and we would all pick which one to play and we would all play from the same T markers and you know some of the long par fours You'd be going four and two, and I'd be playing like a three-shot hole with a stroke in hand, and that's the way golf used to be. Instead of everybody has their own tee, and they're all set up so we can all hit driver six iron on this hole. I don't like that about modern golf at all. And by making the thing really short, I thought that would, you know, reduce the need for all those different tees positions and. And we'd we'd wind up wanting to play from the same place and it would be more social and it would be easier to get the greens and tees really close together because you can't do that when there's five tees over 150 yards. It's maybe in the back. Te- it's either the back tee or the regular members tee that's close to the other green. And then the rest of them are just a terrible one.
1: It's like a short course like short courses are amazing at this because everybody plays from generally the same spot. Where you right. keep everybody like, together, so I I do think like I didn't I never thought about it that way. Shortening the course, making a course really short, should achieve that. I think the thing that you did too is with it being the way it's set up is you really have to think a lot of times about going for a green because like what would happen without some thoughtful design is that the long hitter would just be able to overpower a golf course. From the same tees, but with some thoughtful design, like there are holes out there, like um, one that jumps to mind is uh, the ninth hole that goes down is like I'm I looked at that and I'm like, I don't I don't think I want anything to do with the driver here. You know, so all of a sudden I'm laying back to where, you know, the people that are hitting it to 40 off the tee that we're hitting to the same spot. Right.
0: Yeah. And there's, you know, there's other holes where you know the fairway bunker on 4 is set up for only a long hitter who hits a good drive and just turns it over a little more left than he wants to. Yes. He's going to find the bunker and that's a really bad place to be.
1: I was in that bunker.
0: <laughs> and 90% of us, the rest of us don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. So that that makes sense like, like the community aspect of it. So are they they planning to set it up that way?
0: Yeah. We went back and forth on it for quite a while, you know. So everything that the Kaisers own right now, there's five T markers, and they do surveys of their customers like religiously. And sixty-five percent of the people play from the same T marker, the the green T marker, which is kind of the middle of the five. And literally five to seven percent of their customers play. Every other one of the tea options, but they're in the resort business, and there's that thought that the customer is always right. And if the customer really likes playing the orange teas, do we want to take that away from them, or shouldn't we just set this up the same way we do for everything else? And it took a while to get for him to think that through. He really had to see all the golf holes before he got comfortable with the idea that, yeah we can just kind of put most people on any one of these two or three back tees you've got. And then, you know, my dad will play from up there with, you know, the older guys that just want to play it shorter and have some chance of getting to some of the par fours in two. Um, And I think it's going to work really well that way. Fingers crossed. Um, But you know, they'll be taking a lot of surveys of people as to how they like that so i'm sure i'm going to hear a lot about it after a full year of use Th-
1: this is uh this topic i'm like i just thought of something in my head um and you know about a year ago i went to uh one of thomas keller who's like the you know one of the most famous chefs in the world's restaurants yeah. And, the chef of the French laundry. Yeah. So I went to his restaurant ad hoc, which is just down the street. It's a little bit more casual. And the restaurant has no menu. You you get what they what they're making. They ask you if you have any allergies. And if you right. don't have any allergies or food aversions, this is what's coming out. Right? If yep. you have allergies, they make tweaks and stuff like that. But the I the thing I loved about it is like you know this this guy whether you can agree or disagree that he's one of the best chefs in the world whatever it is I'm going to his restaurant I thought I was thinking about it like the whole way home is like like why why should I pick what I want to eat at somebody if I'm going to, to one of the greatest chefs restaurant why should
0: I pick what I eat right like you're the going, I, it's like you're going to dinner at his house yes. you're not getting 5 choices <laughs>
1: so like the same thing kind of i'm just thinking about this through is like with golf architecture architects design these golf courses and then the setup is kind of like the menu right right and we put all this this menu in and then everybody decides where they want to play but like have you ever thought like, and have you ever done this? Have you ever had a client that said, like, can you set, can you set this golf course up for us twenty five different ways, and we will just rotate how we use the golf course setup? Like, that's what I'm thinking is like, why, why aren't architects setting up a golf course, and and creating setup plans for a golf course?
0: Oh, we would drive ourselves crazy doing that. I mean, we we kind of do we think through the different T options and yeah, it'd be cooler to play this way than that way. I've certainly thought of like alternate setup ideas for a bunch of my courses, everything from like lost dunes a lot. There's a lot, there's several holes that you, there's a pretty good walk back to the T. Most of the time I play lost dunes with a bag over my shoulder. I just play the nearest T to the last green. Sometimes it's it's the forward T on like five holes. It's the all the way back T on like eight holes you know, it's just wherever is close and it's just the shortest walk and it's a good mix. You know, it's not the blue tees, it's not the white tees, it's not the red tees, it's some of all of them, but it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a decent combination that really works out well. You know, Ballyneal was the first golf course that I was involved with that decided not to put out tee markers and let the members just pick. And I think, I think that's cool. It's a great tradition there. but. The one thing that I noticed from that is when you remember, you know, the golf course really well, and you pick where you're going to tee off from, you pick far enough forward that you don't have to worry about carrying the bunker. You make it easy for yourself. And it's like that kind of defeats the purpose. The bunker is out there. So at least some people will have to make a choice instead of just getting them all past it. So yeah, I would probably set up golf courses differently than. How they're set up from day to day. But, you know, the first couple of years of the Renaissance Cup, I went out and set pin positions and stuff. And then I was like, no, I just want people to, I just want everybody to experience it the way everybody else would normally. You know, that's, that's really the golf course. We don't need to set this up super special for our event. And it, you know, it drives me crazy to watch major championships and watch the enormous, Set up stuff that they do, and how different they're trying to make it for the pros that week. When if you just played wing foot from all the way back and added up the scores, the best player would probably win without all that effort.
1: Yeah, we had uh, we had an event uh, a couple weeks ago at Old Barnwell, and it, in the day before, and we d- we change pins after we do thirty six holes. We change pins and tees. And we have like a drastically different golf course. Like no way would be a golf course that you could enter a score into because it's not going to match up with any uh, slope and rating. Right. Because the T's are all over the place. But Brian Schneider, one of your longtime associates who designed the golf course with Blake Conant, he came out the day before and set it up. And it was it was so fun to talk through it. And like you could see every hole, there's so many ways you could set set these holes up. But like it was so fun because you know one of the one of the long par fours that he built was playing really short because of the wind, and we knew the wind was going to be the same way. So it's like playing super short. So we moved the tee way up, and then it's like so we know everybody's going to be. 40 yards away 50 yards away that hit a good drive right they're gonna hit this up there's like a little hidden bunker that somebody might find brian and i are playing together sure enough he hits a great drive and i'm right in the hidden bunker but the key the one thing we did was we put it right over a bump so everybody's hitting this great drive up and it's like funny because like you know a lot of people might be like why is there this little bump in front of the green right Right. and then we put the and then brian puts the pin right there And everybody's hitting it like I heard these comments like from so many people. They're like, I hit it up to forty yards, and then I was like, I have to hit this to twenty five feet left because I'm terrified. I know if I if I and it's just like, I think like that's what's missing a little bit is like you had these long you had longer hitters playing a way up tee that they would never usually play, and then it showcases like this little architectural feature that that. You know, this is the type of stuff that gets mixed up and it makes me think of this 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 restaurant because like you end up eating stuff that you would never order and you're like wow that was incredible. Right. And I just wonder if that's another way that architecture from a setup perspective could be pushed forward.
0: Well, we could. You know, one of the things that Alistair Mackenzie did, that famous drawing of St. Andrews. Alistair McKenzie helped them codify the championship hole locations a hundred years ago. And they still pretty much go back to that guide and use them for the fall meeting of the RNA a and for any big tournaments that are there. So, yeah, there is space for architects to be more involved in that. But you can't set it up that way on an everyday basis. Or at least you'd have to have you know somebody like Brian Palmer at Terra Eti, he would he'd do that every day if you let him. He'd set it up completely different every day and keep it interesting. But now he's got three courses maintained instead of one, so he'd have a hard time doing that. Um, so it was uh,
1: back to Sedge. We had a little diversion here. I remember you talking about and and it was your first project with with the Kaiser family. Was Pacific Dunes, where you had a little bit of at that point non traditional uh, routing, and you know where the scorecard you had all these back, you had a lot of par threes. You had par thirty four on the front nine, or uh, and and then you know it it was a moment of like you know you're showing the routing to uh, Mike Kaiser, and you're and then you put the put the pars on the card. I remember the story. Is this a little bit of a look where architecture has gotten to that you're able to create this golf course at Sedge Valley that like makes Pacific Dunes, in terms of um, golf course theory, feel very
0: traditional? I mean, the landscape has certainly changed over the last 25 years. There's so much more interest in golf course architecture. You know, when I wrote for Golf Magazine in the 80s, there were like, Readers don't want to read about architecture. The George Pepper used to kid me about it. And I'm like, well, you have a magazine that doesn't write any articles about architecture. And then you ask the people what they are reading. If they wanted to read about architecture, they wouldn't be reading your magazine. <laughs> so so it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. But there were no podcasts about golf course architecture in the 80s. So you you didn't have that many people who were just total geeks about it like we do today. And that does change that winds up changing the client's perspective on what they ought to do too, or at least they're more open to it and again, you know there's a little changing of the guard there too between Mike Kaiser and his sons. you know his sons want to do they they want to do great stuff, but they want to be seen as doing something a little different than their dad did, and they they know the place to do that is to have a few less rules about certain things. At the same time, they're very meticulous about other aspects of it that they they think should be a certain way. So, you know, when I wrote Getting to 18, several of my friends' comment about the book were, oh my God, I can't believe how involved the client was in some of those things. And I didn't go through that in much detail, just enough to give people a sense of, how much the client's perspective changes what I might even try to do, you know, I don't want to argue about the fifth hole with the client you You try to get to know the client and what they like and what they don't like about golf and steer it that way a little bit. That's one of the things that keeps my work different from one course to the next instead of just trying to do the same thing every time uh, but yes, there's. There's much more scope now for it to be really complicated and really edgy. And at the same time, you know, I'm kind of a minimalist. I think we're getting to the point that people are really overdoing that. I think some of these new courses you're about to see from some of the young guys are going to be wild, and maybe that's going to be a good thing, and maybe it's going to be too much. Depends on your taste
1: with uh with sedge i i played uh pinehurst number 10 recently and i'm i'm curious sedge i feel like i feel like you have holes at sedge that are par 4s that at pinehurst number 10 are par 3s is there a difference in clients like in holes that are par 5s that would be par that are par 4s at at pinehurst number 10 Having now worked for two of the biggest resorts in in America two that you know two of the biggest golf developers in america is was there a difference and i i think i like kind of enjoyed. I enjoyed finding out that a hole that I thought was a short par four was a long par three. I was I kind of, I like cackled (laughs) on the inside at Piner's number. I like, I was like, Oh, I like that. And I said, I, uh, Angela was out there and I was like that par five, she goes, that's a par four. I was like, (laughs) Oh, is it, is that, um, did you find with Piner's number 10 that working for a client? And this was kind of something that I kind of was thinking through in my head was, was working for a client that hosts major championship golf, like they do, allowed for to build a more difficult golf course from a sense of par than than working for a golf uh, resort company that really curtails to a retail golfer he wants. You know, I think they're it's in their ethos of people to come out and have fun, right?
0: Yes. So. At the beginning of the job, in, it's difficult to compare Pinehurst and Bandon because, you know, over the years, I've had a really close personal relationship with my Kaiser and with his sons, and I know him really well. And with Pinehurst, on the other hand, I was really concerned at the beginning, like, who is the client at Pinehurst? Who do I go to to ask for feedback? Because it's a big company. And it, it, they're not really clear, you know, Tom Pashley, the president who called me about the deal in the first place and invited me to come look at it, um, you know, was pretty hesitant to be the guy to s- s- give me input. He, you know, he wanted to go to other people too. And you don't, you don't want to have a committee telling you what to do. So I was nervous about that at the start until the first couple of visits I made as we were, finishing the routing and getting getting ready to start the golf course, you know, Bob Dedman was there. And I didn't I never really met Bob Dedman or spent any time with him before working on this project, but he's been around golf forever. Um, somewhere between ta- interviewing me in the first place and getting started on the golf course, he did his homework and he went to Pacific Dunes and he went to Terry Eady and he went to Barnboogle and saw them so we could talk about them. And, you know, the funny thing is, I mean, what you're referring to, that the the fact that Pioneer's number 10 is kind of a longer, harder golf course, part of that is just it's a big piece of property, and getting up to those par fives on the high ground stretched it out so it was going to be a pretty long golf course, certainly compared to Sedge Valley, Uh, but even compared to, like, Pacific Dunes. And it's, you know, I've always built courses a little shorter in places where it's really windy, which is a lot of my best work because, you know, you do not want to play a 7,300 yard course <laughs> in the wind. Uh, you know, Sabonic is the only course I've done that, you know, is has got that full scale championship length and it's in a windy setting and it'll just kill most people if they don't play it from 6,200 yards. Um. But Pinehurst is, it is a little windy up there, but not like being on the coast of Oregon or or in Tasmania. So, so we felt like we could make it a little longer. But the funny thing is, like, now that we're done, I mean, even the client is like, shouldn't we call this a short par four? Aren't people going to think this is too hard, even though anytime and it was only like three or four times, but anytime I asked Bob Deadman a question, what do you think about this versus that? His answer always leaned toward the harder option. Put in the bunker. Mike Kaiser frequently would tell you, take out the bunker. So that's at least part of the reason why. You know, part of the reason is it's a different piece of ground. Part of the reason is the client's initial feedback and perspective is just different because yes because they host championships because that Bob Deadman was a really good player
1: it it's funny cuz i you know i centered around this we played Piner's 10 and then we were the next couple of days we were doing prep for the US Open next year doing our filming and stuff and i was i was buzzing around number 2 you know and and people are playing, and I'm out there filming stuff, and I you know and I'm in a cart, so naturally like you you end up talking to these people when they go by and this one guy he's playing and he's on like the sixteenth hole at, at number two, and I'll like I'll never forget this he's and I'm like, how's it going and because he said something to me and and he's like, you know i'm I'm getting my ass kicked, I'm playing as bad as I've ever played, but I don't know if I've ever had a better day." Like, you know, and it's like this idea, like people go there and it's like, they know they're going to get, you know, killed and they just love doing it. And it's funny because like, it's amazing how polar opposite the experiences from like, say a mammoth dunes where people go and they play, I hear from so many people in, and, and this goes to like my college friends of like, I've shot the best score of my life and I had so much fun and how it's like either extreme, and, and Pioneer's number two offers probably the golf course, the most popular American golf course that people just get eviscerated at, right? And it's like both of them provide that unbel- unbelievable j- joy, and they're at such extreme other opposite ends of the spectrum,
0: right? Right. And, you know, I work for Pete Dye growing up and Pete Dye's theory was the piners theory that like you could get beat up all day, but sooner or later you're going to hit a really good shot somewhere. And it's going to be like 10 times as memorable because you're doing it on a really hard, really dramatic looking golf hole. And you're just going to be so happy about the two good shots you hit that even though you got beat up, it's a win.
1: What, what were some of the challenges at, at number 10 in terms of, um, just I you you made reference of having to stretch things out to get to high points. Were there any other challenges with the the property in general that you had to overcome?
0: um it's not quite as sandy as everything in Pinehurst is supposed to be, but but the, not just number 10. That's true of a lot of the golf courses. you know we had our our construction superintendent was Kevin Robinson, who spent like 10 years being the superintendent of number two during the last open and he you know he's been around there his whole life and very unsurprisingly pinehurst number two is the sandiest bit of ground there you think of that as a flat golf course but if you think but driving every day from like the resort and the village to number 10 you realize you're driving off the top of a hill down to everything else and all of the other courses at Pinehurst are a little lower than number two and they're not quite as high and dry and sandy and you know those little all those little pockets around the greens at number two that the water just goes sucks down and you never see it again it doesn't work that easily on the other side and then you know there is a certain aesthetic to Pinehurst that you kind of had to incorporate into a new golf course there. You're going to have like the sandy and wire grass waste. But that's much harder to do on a hilly site because the water is going to run off the fairway into that stuff and just gouge it out and make washouts everywhere. So, you know, had to we had to do a lot more drainage work and put a lot more like centipede sod in to keep it from being a mess around, you know, Pinehurst number two does have a couple holes like four and five. The fairways are in hilly sites and on the side and they have problems like that, but they just go out and fix it after every rain. Uh, you don't want, you, you try not to build a course where you got to do that on every hole, but we'd have been doing it a lot if we hadn't really worked on it during construction.
1: Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Club Champion. Club Champion has been a great partner of ours for a while. It has been a place that I've gotten fit for my golf clubs forever. Uh, I was playing golf yesterday at the Olympic Club, and I was playing with a a good player who knows a lot about golf, uh, knows a lot about the golf swing, and he commented about how heavy of a ball I was hitting. It's like, God, it just comes out the same window, doesn't spin much and all i could think is yeah that's because i got fit at club champion they optimized me i went in there with no precursor of what i wanted i went in got the best clubs for me and i'm you know kind of uh, reaping the reward of those uh those clubs you know they the the ball really comes off consistently i've noticed that my driver just doesn't move much so you know the biggest adjustment's just been not aiming down the left side of the fairway and aiming down the center of the fairway uh because ball just doesn't really cut that much anymore uh if you want to get really like locked in for next year now's the best time to do it uh club champion has their best offer ever uh if you use the code fried egg you will get you can get a full bag fitting for a hundred dollars or fifty dollars for any other fitting type so if you want to get wedges done irons done fairway woods fifty dollars for any individual fitting type with a club purchase Go to clubchampion.com, use schedule a fitting, use the code FRIDEG. Now, a couple things about this deal. It ends on December 4th. So you need to need to make your fitting appointment by December 4th, and the fitting must be completed by 1-31, So next year, January 31st of next year. So it's applicable at uh, club champion stores, and you have to purchase a club for this deal. So this is a uh, this is an awesome deal, the best deal they've ever given out, and I would uh, I would jump on it if you have any club needs. Um, if you're looking to get more consistent in a golf, this really helps you. So I uh, I love Club Champion, I've used them forever, and uh, they've been a great partner of ours. So thank you to them, and now back to Tom Doke. I think a hole that a lot of people will talk about with uh Piner's number uh 10 is the 8th hole. Um
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> you think so,
1: huh? <laughs> it's just a general hunch, a general um
0: Yeah. So from the day we started that what to do with that little section was always like one of the more difficult decisions I had to make. So, a lot of people know that Piner's number 10, part of it's on the site of the old, the pit, the old Dan Maples course that closed 10 years ago. And the pit was kind of like Tobacco Road in an earlier time, but a much smaller, narrower version of that. It was very tight golf course, but it had just some wild contours and old, you know, piles left over from mining days that were in play on the, very much in play on the golf holes. Most of that is on the east side of that property, where they will eventually build Piner's Number Eleven. We only had a little corner of it on our site. We we had the first seven holes of the pit, and only the you know that was a loop back to the clubhouse, and only the they had their par three fourth hole in this little section that was that had been quarried out the same way as the as all of the back nine, and. You know, in my routing, we turn that into a par four playing backwards up over into the quarry. And then the green is kind of right at the base of where the tee was for the par three. Um, But it was complicated by two things. Not only are you playing into this little section that's completely different from the rest of the golf course, but there's also there's a gas line that runs through there that you have to hit over three or four times when you're playing golf and you're trying to hide it. But that blind tee shot up and over is also over the gas line. So you couldn't just like knock it down and make it really visible into that. And so I had to find like, okay, where can I make this shot feel like it works? Because it's going to be really awkward to go up and over into that bowl. And it, you know, it wound up making sense for the tee shot on a short par four. You know, from the beginning, the clients talked about you know wanting this golf course to be a little different and not as hard necessarily, and have a different aesthetic and be more fun to play. You know, I think they, you know, I think they envisioned if I could build Pacific Dunes in the Sand Hills, that would be perfect. And of course, they knew that you can't really do that, but you know, this one little. Section of the site was so different. It's like we well, got to go in there. It's it's a cool feature, but it is going to stand out, and some people are going to think it sticks out like a sore thumb because it's just out of character. Um, and also, the client was a little worried about the possible perception that they're doing anything that's ripping off Tobacco Road. You know, they respect Tobacco Road from what it for what it is. That's not really the vibe of the resort, and they're not going to build a golf course just like that. But they didn't want people to think, oh yeah, we're we're taking a little bit of that and putting it in here too to keep you guys happy. You all you young people happy.
1: <laughs> it, it, they don't want to be they didn't want it to be known as like the Instagram hole, because I could already see it. it's gonna be right. the
0: hole everybody takes pictures of. A hundred percent. So no, they were they were concerned about that. At the same time, they have a massive publicity department. They they don't mind having an Instagram <laughs> hole. They just don't want to be seen as trying to create an Instagram hole. So, you know, I could tell Tom Pashley was a little nervous about that as we started building that hole. And the main feature of it, off the tee, you you know, you're kind of hitting up into a big bowl, but there's also like a pretty big dune there. I think it's about, say, 20 feet high or 25 feet high relative to the fairway. That's kind of right center, almost right you know, the perfect drive is honestly right over the top of it, which a lot of people are going to shy away from. There's more space out to the left.
1: I'd say you it's just... even over over more to the right.
0: Yeah. Ideally, even a little further right or just over it with a little bit of a fade. But most people are going to start at left with a fade and wind up left. And it's a lot harder hole from the left. It's not uh, good from the left. But I, don't, I don't like it You know that. that we burned all the native vegetation in there to clear to get it cleared and you know that thing was like a it was it looked like mount doom for a little while (laughs) but you know i always called it the matterhorn because of the shape of it Uh and i always thought we're gonna have to knock it down that it was just too big and too weird compared to everything else on the golf course and sooner or later we just take that dirt and use it to like fill in some of the pockets in the fairway because the fairway is like the North Sea, it's, it's really severely undulating. And we did have to fill in some things so you could mow it. Um, but like all through the first two or three months of construction after that thing was cleared, nobody, nobody wanted to tear it down. All the crew was like, I kind of like it. I kind of like it. I don't think you should tear it down. But I still thought, even if I sided with the crew, that the client was going to want to tear it down. Until the day I came out to to work one morning and Bob Dedman was just walking around. He was just, he'd gotten into town the the day before and he was just having a little walk around to see what progress had been made. And I just happened to encounter him on the eighth tee. I was walking one way and he just walked back through the golf hole. It wasn't finished yet. We were, We hadn't done the shaping of the green or anything, but... You know, he he had the sense of where the T was and what you were going to be hitting into. And he had a big smile on his face and he was like, I think that's going to be really neat. And I was like, I never thought he was going to say that. So I guess the mountain is staying <laughs> um,
1: with that. So it's you know, you kind of are teeing off and, and it's like I think it was mining, right? It's it's just a lot of spoils. Um, like it's like lots of mounds and, and different things. Yeah. And how do you then take that? And as you said, it's completely, it feels completely different than the rest of the golf course. How do you, I imagine this is probably like one of the rare instances where you have like a completely, a tiny little section that's completely out of the character. How did you go about trying to tie that in to the rest of the course and make it
0: feel at least somewhat related? well outside out on the fringes of that on the fringes of that little quarry you have this the seventh t and the sixth green are kind of close to it so we left some features there that you know some sharp ridges that so you kind of feel like you're working your way into it a little bit even though you're not like playing through it the same way at all and then uh, on the back side where the halfway house and the ninth tee is going to be, and also where the 14th green comes back in, there's a little of that feature. And we actually went out there and built a couple of mounds to add to it to make it feel like it didn't just stop right there. And there was a little more of this stuff, um, which I probably shouldn't have given away. Hopefully most people think those, those piles are the st- or old things, just like the new piles, except it's hard to do that because when you, when you build the pile, it doesn't have the same kind of ground cover on it. That's that inside the quarry has is where it's been, you know, untouched for the last 30 or 40 years and just native stuff growing on it and a bunch of pine straw. So it's, it's hard to mimic that look. Um, And that will be hard when, whenever they do that other golf course, that will be hard. It will be harder there to integrate some things and blow up others and make it look like you didn't do anything. We only had to worry about it for the one hole. Um, but other than that, I didn't really worry too much about the fact that the, the fairway was just wildly undulating compared to anything else on the golf course. It's just like, you know, most links courses have a section that's just different. You know, there's a couple of holes that are just wilder or, or flatter or something else. You very rarely see a length that that is just similar from the contours are similar from one end to the other. Think about a place like Royal St. George's, you know, Mm -hmm. near the clubhouse. It's all little rumply stuff. And then at the far end, you've got a 40 foot dune with a bunker in the face of it. So, you know, I think we'll get away with that being different. The one thing that, that I did do, I designed a short par four. So it's wild, but it's not too hard. You know, if that was a 450-yard par four going through that thing, <laughs> nobody would like it. But at 350 yards, it's kind of a break, and you just get to giggle at how wild it is.
1: Yeah, my colleague Garrett always likes to talk about how his, some of his favorite architecture is like humorous, right? It is a little bit of a hole that you you get to. I, I remember getting there, and I was like, okay, I you know Matt, who kind of dropped us off at 10, you know, we're playing a golf course that, you know, nobody's at. And, you know, <laughs> he's like, there's the first tee. And he's like, and when you get to eight, hit it over the middle of the mound. And we get there and I'm looking at it. I'm like, okay. And I like kind of chuckle. And then you get past this big mound that you're hitting. It's like a mountain that you're hitting over. And then you see the fairway. And I think I just burst out laughing. <laughs> like I was like, all right, this is insane. You know, and, and I think like, I think sometimes... You know, it 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 makes sense why golf course projects are very serious. Like they're they cost millions of dollars, and you build something, and it's kind of like done. And if you have to change something, it costs a lot of
0: money, right? But there is yeah, it costs a lot more. It not only costs <laughs> a lot more to fix something later on, but you know, I spend twenty five or thirty days of my time building a new course, and when when we had the one hole at the national in Australia, that we had a safety problem. I had to spend like a week (laughs) flying to Australia to fix one, you know, one hole, basically. You don't want to make those mistakes. They're, they cost too much time.
1: (laughs) So the stakes are high, but like there is an aspect of like playfulness or humor in golf design. Funny, like stuff that makes you laugh is actually quite, I I think it's a great and underrated element of golf design. But it almost the 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 cost and the seriousness of it works against humor. And I think that's one of the things that I like about that really like about that hole is it kind of makes you just chuckle.
0: Yeah. And you know, I've always appreciated that cuz the first time I saw places like Cruden Bay and North Berwick You know i remember that feeling really well like i never expected this to look like this and and yet they're fun to play and most of the holes that are really wild are not that hard and that's the balance is when you've got something like that you know just take your foot off the accelerator some and let it be fun because it's you know, if you're trying to make that fair and challenging, that's going to be pretty hard. Um, It's not an easy hole, but it's not nearly the hardest hole out there. Um, But it, it, it will certainly be the most talked about because it's really different.
1: Yeah. This goes a little bit back to Sedge Valley. I got a question from Clinton Edgar and, and I guess it, it it relates to our conversation with Piners too, because it's a championship course, but Do you think a a championship caliber course can be designed a la Sedge Valley to show that shorter courses with half par holes and better uses of angles can host top level players?
0: I just don't think that any of the governing bodies are very interested in doing that. I think you could build the golf course. I don't think they would be interested in playing the big event there. They play something on it. They would appreciate that it's a good golf course, but it's not going to be a PGA tour event. It's not going to be the US Open. They're not that, you know, they 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 got out of their comfort zone for Chambers Bay and (laughs) Erin Hills, and they had a bunch of people complain to them about it. And I don't, you know, and those were not short, easy golf courses at all. They just weren't 20 yards wide with nasty rough and the players caught him on relatively good scoring conditions and the scores were too low for the u.s open which i personally don't think there is such a thing because you know who won those two events jordan spieth and and brooks Brooks. Yeah. yeah they play and they played great and in hindsight like you know if 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 that was a hundred years ago and you were looking at, oh man, they played that weird course, who won there? Oh, one of the best players that must be a good golf course, but that is not the reaction they got in the present day
1: I've thought about this a little bit, and I think if you were truly attempting to build the greatest championship test, the golf course would look so, 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 so different than what's become or uh, what is a status quo golf test. Like, you'd want to have such a wide variety of holes and, you know, like yardages. Like, I think, like, what you would want is you'd try and go and, and get somebody to hit all their clubs in their bag, right? Like, a how do you get Brooks Kepka or Rory or uh, Spieth to hit every club in their bag in, in a round. And well, in order to do that, you'd have to have such an odd configuration of holes.
0: You know, a lot of my courses have imitated Alistair McKenzie's work, but also funnily enough, Pete Dye's work in that we didn't build a lot of medium par fours and medium length par fives either build them short or you know they're they're kind of skewed to certain clusters of distances you know the 330 yard holes or the 450 yard holes but not so many in the 400 410 range um, that's more interesting for the average player playing a match with his buddy because One of them will make four and one of them will make five instead of both guys making four or both guys making five all day. But those clusters of distances don't work out for tour pros and the distance they hit it now, generally speaking. You know, to really get them to hit every club in the bag, if that's your goal, I don't necessarily think that that should be the great goal. But the only way to do it, the thing I proposed for the Olympic golf course in Rio, was to just regimented You know, every hole is twenty-five or thirty yards longer than the last hole, and have no, no feelings about. Well, that hole's two eighty, and the next one's three ten, and the next one's three. So every
1: hole went up yardage.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, and I was gonna, I was also gonna set it up. What was the first hole? Ten yards, twenty yards forward every day, and not be hitting the same club from one day to the next. Interesting.
1: I kind of like this idea.
0: I even want to, if they'd have let me set up the golf in the Olympics, I'd have made the ladies play the men's yardage one day and the men play the ladies yardage one day. See, this is what I. But the governing bodies would never do that.
1: Yes. (laughs) This is the, like, I always think about this and part of this like tournament infrastructure, right. Is like, I think about the, the U S open at, at Olympic club. What they on the sixteenth hole? So Jim Furyk's just cruising along, and on the sixteenth hole, they surprised them by moving the tee box up fifty yards. And he stood on the tee, and he had no clue what to do. It was very clear he was not ready to hit the shot. And you think about like one of the issues that's going on in pro golf is like nobody's playing practice rounds anymore. And it's like, well, if you tell them exactly where the tee box is every day, and it's in one spot every single day. And it's not really going to move around much. They aren't going to prepare to see the golf course. But if you say like any tee box is game, you might play this at 5,600 or it might play to 6,200 yards one day, 7,400 yards one day. You know what guys are going to do? They're going to spend a lot more time on the golf course.
0: Maybe, but so here's why they don't do it. In addition to the fact that they're not very flexible thinking about these things. I mean, there are some legitimate reasons. One of them is they have to rope the golf course yeah, off for the infrastructure. They got, yeah, they got grandstands by the tee, and if you use the forward tee, there's no grandstand there, so that complicates things. But at the end of the day, they just they don't really want to do that because they think I have this this argument on Golf Club Atlas a lot with a couple of guys who who say who keep saying that. You know, when you're restoring a golf course, you're trying to put it back to the way Donald Ross intended the hole to be played, as if Donald Ross thought that there was only one way to play the hole. (laughs) Donald Ross, I don't think, thought of the hole as being a driver for iron, and that's what he wanted it to always be. He knew people hit at different distances. He'd seen equipment change radically. Uh, He wanted it to be challenging and interesting for a variety of players like I do. So, But there's this perception when you're setting up a golf course for a major championship that you want to reward the guy who played the hole the right way. And they they just can't get it through their brains that there's not, you know, the old course, there isn't a right way to play it. Nobody designed one into it. That's why it's interesting. Had that discussion with Brooks Kepka a lot. He said the same thing you did. He said, it'd be great. We couldn't do it at Memorial Park because we were in a public park and there's a lot of trees around and they didn't really want us cutting down any trees. We didn't need to cut down. But one of his first things was, you know, it'd be nice to have tees at different angles. So guys just can't hit it at the same target four days in a row. And they have to think when they get on the tees. Like he said, the reason he he's better in major championships and more competitive on major championships is because you have to play the golf course different from one day to the next, the average tour course you don't. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of players on tour that are so used to just playing the hitting the same tee shot all four days that when they get to a major, they're uncomfortable, either they're uncomfortable or they just stick to what they do. And it doesn't work nearly as well at Shinnecock Hills as it does at The random TPC that they play every week.
1: You know, throwing in another course into the bucket of somewhat unconventional for U.S. Open that got complaints is this year's U.S. Open course, Los Angeles Country Club. You know, it obviously got a lot of complaints and a lot of it was driven around 60, the 62s. So it's fascinating what you were talking about with short par fours and long par fours. That's a golf course that didn't have a lot of medium length par fours.
0: And that's, of course, you know, George Thomas designed it to be there's a couple holes that was it's a par three one day and it's a par four another day. Yeah. And they actually tried to use some of that in the setup for the event. <laughs> um, but, you know, when people are focused on the winning score, that it's hard for them to get into that the same way.
1: I was talking with Rory McIlroy, um, who almost won. A few weeks after, and he was telling me, and you know, he was like, "I can't stop thinking about LACC and how good of a test it was." He's like, "I can't think of many courses ever that I hit every bag, every club in my bag over the course of a week, and that golf course made me hit every shot and every club in the bag." And it's and it clicked with me when you said short par, f- like not a lot of medium length par fours, because that's what to me. Ends up at the highest level is the four hundred and you know for the highest level it's three eighty to four fifty has been reduced to just driver wedge, right?
0: Well, and yes, but also, I mean, what I used to consider a really long par four is still driver wedge for those guys. It's insane. Now. I mean, you look at look at the scorecard for the Masters. Every par four except for one of them is four hundred fifty yards or more. It's it's crazy. All like seven that used to be like three sixty, and guys hit irons off the tee. Now they're playing it at four fifty,
1: and they're still hitting wedge into the
0: green. If they're not behind a tree, (laughs) yeah,
1: yeah. Well, (laughs) Um, all right. Uh, Let's uh, let's get a couple questions and and wrap this up. We have so you have so many projects. There's so many things we should talk about. So maybe we'll get more time on the books now. I'm guessing your travels. going down a little bit um
0: no you're guessing wrong I'm i guess- have four projects under construction right now not the ones we've been talking about i so know That's- i'm still busy for another nine months to a year solid but- Maybe
1: maybe we'll get time on one of your holiday breaks you got to have okay. a pro- c- couple of holiday breaks so it won't be eight months or whatever between these um peter flurry What do you think has been the most innovative design that you've seen in the last 10 years that you weren't associated with?
0: Um, You know, I used to do a really good job of keeping up with what other guys were building. And at least if, you know, if something was new and, and the feedback was that it was interesting, I would get out to see it pretty fast. In the last three or four years, I haven't had any time to do that. I mean, I, I was adding up my own golf for the year the other day for my Christmas letter. And like I played four of my own golf courses for the first time this year, but I barely played. I only played like 15 golf courses and most of them were mine. Um, so really hard for me to answer that question right now, you know, because I just haven't seen a lot yeah. of stuff of the stuff that I've seen. I was really impressed by Ohupi, which was a little weird to me because I wasn't, the the things that I heard about it, you know, I kind of had mixed feelings about, but I was really impressed that, you know, Gil apparently had a client there who's a really good player and said to him, do put at least one really hard to get to pin placement on every one of these greens. That is not the feedback that Rick Kane or Mike Kaiser gives you. So they they made a golf course with some really hard-to-get-at pins, and that's really different compared to what everybody else is doing right now.
1: Um, all right. Another quick one, maybe quick one. Uh, Bob Crosby wrote, writes in, how would you respond to a critic who says that too many of the holes you design lead to punishments that are not proportional to the degree to which a shot is missed, as you know, proportionality is a goal for many architects as well as a goal for many for many course setups for tournaments.
0: Yeah, and I just don't believe that at all, so I don't really care about that criticism. It's just like we have to agree to disagree on that as a fundamental you know I think I, I think you just look at the end of the day. you know, everybody gets a bad bounce or two along the way. When you get a bad bounce, the, the, the part that really bothers me when good players talk about this, they do not talk about when you get a bad bounce, it's because you hit it too close to somewhere where something could go wrong. They don't treat the bad bounce the same way they treat a bunker or a water hazard. They don't they don't take any personal responsibility for it. It's all the architect's fault. And I heard Pete Dye talk about that a long time ago. When when we were working on that TPC course in Connecticut, the 18th hole, which is still pretty much the 18th hole the, the way it was designed originally, you know they needed a cart path for member play, and the only place to put the you were either going to put the cart path way up at the bowl of the stadium and make everybody walk way down in there and way back to their golf cart, or it had to come down where it was in play off the tee for the tour players, and you know and Pete and Dean Beeman were talking about it wrestling with it back and forth you know if we put it down here that's what the members need but somebody's gonna hit that cart path and complain and pete was like okay i'll take the heat for that because if i was a tour player and i was playing for a lot of money and uh, hitting that cart path would cost me money i would avoid it yeah but they won't they'll just blame me (laughs)
1: The other thing I'll add about good players is they never remember the good bounces and the good breaks and that they usually level
0: out. Right. And that's why I said, you know, I I just want to look, I just want to look back at it after one day or after four days, you know, did the, did the golf course ultimately reward the guys who played the best, you know, everybody's going to get a bad break somewhere along the way. And as we used to say, that's golf is like that because life is like that. You have to be able to deal with that when it happens to you on the golf course and to just take all that out because somebody could get a bad break on the last hole and it'll cost them the tournament. It's like that's part of the game.
1: All right. This is a bit of a long question, but I I, I think it's a good question. So stick with me here. Okay. After hearing feedback, early feedback from Lido, it sounds like there's a lot of blind elements out there. I feel like blind elements are beloved by the online golf community and are very trendy right now. You know, he goes on to say that I'm a big fan of them. I do love blindness. Um, my question isn't uh, whether Tom likes to incorporate blind elements, but how he can rationalize that one of the greatest architects, Alistair McKenzie, seems to be the only major architect that doesn't like them. Mackenzie says things like, quote, approach shots should never be blind. Blind holes on an inland course where there are no surrounding sand holes to locate a green should never be permitted. And he especially hates shots when the flag is visible but the surface of the green cannot be seen. From what I gather, a hazard has two purposes for McKenzie. First, to present a physical challenge if you hit a ball into it. Second, to present a mental challenge by appearing terrifying and formidable. Maybe the most interesting uh, and challenging feature of a hazard is their ability for the course indecision, fear, and also excitement as you play over them, uh, which isn't possible if they are blind, to Alistair at least. He even goes to far, as far to say that the 14th at the old course is very nearly the ideal hole, but it is not because of the beardies. The crescent, the kitchen, and the hell bunkers are not visible and not and very impressive looking. I know this is sort of rambly and not really a question, but I'm curious what Tom and others, whoever else has to say about blindness, specifically in regards to Alistair McKenzie.
0: Wow. I mean, Charles Blair McDonald was not a huge fan of blind holes in his writings, in his book. You know, he talked about how a hole like, the, you know, a hole like the Alps was great to have maybe once around, but he didn't think that you should have that kind of blindness consistently on the golf course and that, that some of those links courses were... Inferior because there were too many blind shots, um, so it wasn't just McKenzie, but and and the the very ironic part of that is that McDonald's work in the states is one of the few places you see blind shots in the states like presented to be that way deliberately, and you know it's just it racks my brain that when we built old McDonald, I built the Sahara hall with the ghost tree to hit over on the third hall and the, and the Alps hall for the 16th hall. And if those were my ideas, Mike Kaiser never would have bought it. But when we were doing it and said, that's what McDonald, that's the kind of thing that McDonald did. He was like, it's great. (laughs) So people's perceptions change dramatically depending on who's saying it and what they're trying to do. But I think in general, the modern, you know, the, the modern perception of what golf course architecture is supposed to be is Mackenzie's view that there shouldn't be very many blind hazards or blind shots. That's certainly like through the sixties and seventies and eighties when I was growing up, like nobody wanted to touch a blind shot with a hundred foot pole and they would, they would make up excuses though. It's dangerous. It was just like, no, I don't want to get criticized for having done that. And now, you know, there's there's so much more discussion of architecture. And, you know, people just honestly recognize that some of the coolest holes in the UK are blind. So it's like a cool, trendy thing, and it's back in vogue, and guys are trying to incorporate it in their golf courses more. Whereas, You know, Alistair McKenzie and the architects of his day, they were sick of it because that's all they saw all the time on the old links courses.
1: Yeah, I I have a hard time thinking of a golf course that that is a great golf course that doesn't have a fair amount of obscured views at the bare minimum, like where it's like it might be half blind or fully
0: blind views. Like, is there a great golf course where you could see everything? The first the first one I was going to say was Pebble Beach, but you can't tell where the hell you're going on eight.
1: Yeah. Or you don't know where you're going on. Really? uh, The second shot on six, you're like, where am I going?
0: You know, so, you know, generally you only see, you know, visibility is easier on flatter golf courses if you don't build big features that get in the way of it. But, you know, in general. I think I'm fairly aligned with Mackenzie's view, but I also, you know, I'm not always trying to build the ideal golf course. Honestly, neither was McKenzie. Um, and sometimes a, a blind feature for the sake of variety or because, you know, that's what it takes to keep this tee close to the last green and get to where you need to go. You know, I mean, think of crystal downs, the fifth hole at crystal downs. Yeah. <laughs> has got real elements of blindness to it, even though that's definitely Alistair McKenzie's design. If there's one hole on that golf course that I would say that's his, it's either five or seven, and both of them have blind elements to them. It's just the nature of that terrain that you're going to get, it, and you better figure out a fun way to use it. It's just, Maybe he was just
1: trying to dissuade other people from using blindness so he could just be the only... <laughs> Well,
0: he did say, you know, he did say in the spirit of St. Andrews, you know, his first book, Golf Architecture, was written in 1920. And, he, you know, that was about um, analogous to the anatomy of a golf course. Alistair McKenzie hadn't designed a lot of golf courses on his own before 1920. So he laid down these 13 ideal principles. And then when he was writing his book at the end of his career that he'd never found the publisher for, and it was lost for a long time, he took his 13 points. And the first thing he said was, sometimes I wish I'd never written this (laughs) because like, you know, the first thing was, ideally, the course should have two loops of nine holes. And like the the client at Cypress Point is going to complain to you that it doesn't come back to the clubhouse at nine. And you're like, it's pretty good. (laughs) I think it's better this way. <laughs> so anytime you write down a bunch of very strong rules and people interpret them as absolutes, you're just opening yourself up to needing to revise that later for a certain circumstance. And that's why I don't really write down things in terms of absolutes very much.
1: It's uh, it's like what people always say. is like uh, oftentimes the best architecture is unconventional.
0: Yes, and being unconventional means you kind of have to keep changing things around a little bit too. Otherwise, yeah. what you do just gets conventional.
1: All right, Tom, uh, thank you for this time. We we will get more time on the calendar soon because I like I got to like a quarter of what what I have written down here. So, um, and we, you got a lot of stuff to talk about because you got a bunch of projects that we haven't talked about that are, uh, are being, uh, built right now. So
0: thank you. All right. Good to talk to you, Andy. Take care.
1: Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday golf podcast. And thank you to Matt ruches for editing and producing this, uh, episode. Also, Thanks to Matt for... Uh, he wrote his first course profile in Club TFE. So he just did a big profile on uh, Tom Doak's uh, design, BallyNeal. So you can go over to Club TFE. If you're a member, read that that profile. If you're not a member, I would urge you to sign up. It's uh, we, We've been writing a ton there. We have a couple articles a week in there. And um, if you're really into golf courses and architecture, as I imagine most people listening to this are that's where we're putting a lot of our effort um, in club tfb so sign up at membership.thefriedegg.com it's 120 dollars a year and uh, it opens you up to uh, loads of great content uh, early event access and uh, further discounts in the pro shop and we're going to add much more to the community in 2024 so thank you guys For all the support, thank you to all the Club TFE members. Thank you to all the listeners, really. I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. And we'll be back next week with more from the Friday Golf Podcast.